Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, open those up to Genesis, the 12th chapter. We'll be starting there in verse 1. We're actually going to tack on a little bit of the end of chapter 11 as well as we we look at this passage. But if you turn to 12, you'll be there right there with us. Uh, We are continuing our sermon series called In the Beginning. Uh, We thus far have made it across several millennia in just a few weeks, uh, going from the moment of creation when all things began. uh, And I told you we were doing a lot of heavy lifting in those early chapters, and we certainly have. It has not gone well for us uh, as uh, God's creation thus far. We were created, which was a good thing, uh, but then we immediately sinned, rebelled against God, and there was the fall. We looked at that. We looked at Uh, the story of a man named Noah where things got so bad, God said, you know what, we need to just wipe the slate clean and start over again. Uh, But last week we looked at the fact that uh, the sinfulness inherent in man because of the fall remained. And we saw humanity uh, last week at our, our collective low point. And the good news is, today, hope arrives on the scene. All right, this is going to be the episode four of of the book of Genesis, okay? If you're a Star Wars fan, you get that reference, right? Star Wars Episode Four is called what? A New Hope. There you go. Nerds, be proud. And uh, hope is going to appear on the scene today. It's not going to look like it at first. But there's a great turning point that we've reached in the story today. Uh, and we're going to be looking at a man named Abraham. Uh, specifically at the call that God places on his life or begins to place on his life, rather. Uh, And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to read our passage, and then we're going to pray together. Uh, But but here's our main passage, Genesis 12, 1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, thank you uh, for this time to come be in your house to worship you. Thank you that we can look in your word and see uh, how you operated uh, to begin a great plan. And God, thank you that this isn't just a history lesson of something you did, but God, it's something that we can connect to in our lives where we sit today. Uh, God, I pray that through uh, the the convicting power of your word and through its lessons, uh, we will be moved uh, to take part in this great plan of yours. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as we begin looking at the call of Abraham that, that starts here in Genesis chapter 12, we actually need to, to just back up slightly into Genesis chapter 11 to where we left off last week at the Tower of Babel because the first thing I want us to see is when the call came. This is just going to sort of, we're going to look at it quickly, but it's going to set the stage for what happens when God speaks to Abraham. Okay, So let's look at when the call came came. Uh, The first thing I want you to remember is this is after the scattering at the Tower of Babel. People uh, built this great symbol to their own greatness and a great symbol of their own rebelliousness against God. And we looked at last week God confusing their languages and scattering them over the face of the earth. How much time has passed? Well, several generations have passed, and you can look in your Bible and see how long people lived. So it's very possible that several hundreds of years have, have passed at this point. But you'll notice between the Tower of Babel 
and Abraham's call, there is a long list. It's one of those lists that kill you when you try to read through the Bible in a year, right? You try to read straight through it. It's one of those long lists of names and lifespans, and there's a lot of begatting going on, right? If you read the King James, it's a lot less fun if you don't read the King James. It just said so-and-so had a son whose name was. But if you're reading the King James, there's one of those long lists of begattings in there, right? What the author of Genesis is showing us is that after the scattering at Babel, which you would think would get people's attention, you think that they would go, oh wow, we tried to do this big thing in opposition to God's will. He has basically moved us into His will, kicking and screaming at this point. Maybe we should pay attention to God. But instead, what happens? And the reason the author of Genesis puts that genealogy there is there is one family, one, that still has knowledge of God or that cares about God, that still believes anyway. And something happens to that one family. You see, look what happens. This is, this is talking about Noah's father. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot when Terah was still alive. Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. And look what happens. Abram and Nahor both married. That's Abram and his brother, his younger brother. Uh, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And then Nahor's wife was Milcah. And then look at verse 30. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. And for us, we say, well, that's a, that's a terrible circumstance for Abraham. That's, that's a horrible thing for him and his wife. Barrenness is, is a difficult thing. We understand because we know have loved ones that struggle with it. Maybe we have. And so our natural inclination is just to feel sorry for Abraham. But there's much more at stake in this moment. Why? Because Joshua 24 tells us that because they live in the culture, uh, Terah is going to move Abram and Nahor. He's going to move the family to, to a place... Uh, that, that, that's closer to Canaan, a place called Haran. Joshua 24 tells us that in this culture where idol worship is rampant, or the worship of other gods is rampant, this last family that still believes in God, Abraham's father, Terah, and his brother Nahor, begin to worship other gods. They give in to the pressures of their culture. They succumb to idolatry. They forget about... God the Creator, God who was the God of, of Noah, and now they're worshiping other gods. Again, it's in Joshua 24. You can go look at it after the service. And so what the author of Genesis wants you to know as we get to Abraham's call is that the situation is dire. Hope is hanging by a thread. What thread? All the hope in the world now rests on one frail, dying, 75-year-old man who is the only person left who has any concern or any regard for God and he has no children. What the author of Genesis is telling you here is that things are rough. And when Abraham is dead, from, from, human, from, from the human perspective at this point, if Abraham dies, that's it. And there's a great lesson there for us, I think. This was not a great time in human history. It's really not a great time in Abraham's personal life. He's, he's a 75-year-old man with no kids. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, if you wanted to have kids, you kind of needed to get on that when you were young. Okay? That's... Okay. All right, anyway. 
He's 75. He hadn't had a kid. Anyway, okay, never mind. You know what? Email James later. He'll explain it to you. But this isn't the best time for Abram. And yet, this is when God steps in and calls him. Christian, so many times we get this idea in our minds that God calls us, and I'm going to use some church and ease here, so get ready. It's going to be words you recognize. It's going to be Christian buzzwords. So many times we think God calls us when we're on the mountaintop, right? Oh, God isn't calling me in the valley. You know, God's getting me out of the valley to the mountaintop where He can call me. Well, when things are going great, when God has really blessed me, when He's given me all the resources, when He really has opened up a space in my week where I can do some ministry, when the timing is right, and everything's convenient, and everything is just perfect, that's when God calls me. Well, can I tell you something? I think Abraham probably would have appreciated this call a lot earlier than 75. I bet in Abraham's mind, when this call came, he thought, Lord, you could have, if, you, if you were going to tell me that I was going to have a son, you, you could have done it before. I would have been available then. But Christian, it's not always the mountaintop experience when God calls you. If you don't believe me, let's take a quick stop at a few places in the Bible. Moses was an exiled criminal working for his father-in-law, which we can imagine no worse punishment, am I right? He was working for his father-in-law when God called him. David was a shepherd. Spoiler alert, that's what we're looking at tonight. Be here tonight. When God called him to be king. And last I checked, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were all fishermen when God called them. It's not always the mountaintop that God calls us from. But now that we've seen when the call came, I want us to see where the call led. And this is where we're going to spend the most of our time today. That's just kind of the groundwork, okay? Now you know where we are. Dire situation, right? The clock is ticking down, okay? This is the Mission Impossible intro where the little fuse is lit and it's running, all right? But let's look at where the call led. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. The first thing the author of Genesis shows us, uh, who is Moses, by the way, the first thing he shows us is what the call led away from and out of. What the call led away from and out of. And the first thing it led away from was Abram's old way of life. Look at the first part. Leave your country. Leave the place you belong. Leave the place you've settled. Leave the place where you live. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to venture, I'm going to guess that at 75 years old, Abram's life had probably settled into a bit of a routine. I don't know if you know any 75-year-olds, or if you are a 75-year-old, but when I read this, I thought about my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom, uh, my dad's mom is still living, Uh, But my mom's mom, uh, who's gone on to be with the Lord, in the 25 or so years that our lives overlapped, can I tell you, except for toward the end of her life, hospital stays where where she was ill, I cannot remember a single night that I know of that she spent away from her house. In fact, in my entire life, and actually in her entire life, I remember this after the first service, 
She never once left the state of Georgia. No, once. One time in, a, in an 83-year life, she left the state of Georgia. Once. Went to Alabama to visit a sister, and then she came back. Same day, actually, I think. Why? Because at that age, she was set. She had her house, she had her garden, she had her golf cart she rode around, she had her yard. She didn't need the big wide world. She was fine where she was. And I can't help but imagine that in Abraham's mind, he was set. He was where he expected to be. He had expectations for his life. He was going to live and and die and do his business right there in Haran. He had a plan for his life. He he was going to work at his job. He was going to accumulate a little bit of wealth. Unfortunately, he didn't have anyone to leave it to, but he had brought in his nephew Lot and basically adopted him at this point. And so maybe that's where he thought it was going to go later on when Lot's left. It's going to go to a servant. We, We see that story later on. In fact, we'll look at it next week. But God's call interrupted Abram's expectations and his plans. Christian, can I tell you something? Inevitably and invariably, God's call interrupts your expectations and your plans. Alright? If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, let me give you one of the best examples ever since I might not be here at Christmas time, so let me go ahead and sneak it in here. Christmas sermon, I'm just going to sneak it into this one. Do you think when God told Joseph, hey, the girl you're engaged to is going to give birth as a virgin, to the, to the Savior of the world, do you think that was in Joseph's expectations and plans? No, it wasn't. When Paul was going to Damascus to arrest Christians and put them in jail, and Jesus suddenly appeared to him, and Paul realized, uh-oh, I've been on the wrong team this whole time, and suddenly realizes Jesus is in fact the Messiah and is in fact God, do you think that was in Paul's expectations and plans? No. Look throughout the Bible. Anytime God calls anyone, it interrupts their expectations, it interrupts their plans, their life changes directions radically. And Christian, if we are going to respond to God's call on us, which He has put a call on us, we'll look at that later, it will inevitably, invariably change the direction of our life, change the expectations we've laid out for our life, and interrupt the plan that, God, that we have made for our life in favor of God's plan for our life personally and corporately as the church. But that's not the only thing it led away from. It also led away from family and familiarity. Look, Abraham isn't just supposed to leave his country. Your people and your father's household. After the scattering of the Tower of Babel, I, can, I just assume that what happened was people grouped together by language, right? I can understand you, so I'm going with you. I can't understand them, so I'm not going to go with them. And that's probably how they grouped together. What God is telling Abram to do here is get away from everybody you know. Your, your, your family, your people, the, the ones that look like you, that speak the same language. Leave them behind and go to a place where you're the outsider. Where you are the one that looks different. Where you're the one with the funny accent. Now, for us as Christians, our immediate in modern America, our immediate thought here is, well, that must be what it's like to be a missionary. That must be what it's like to, to go serve in, in Nigeria or in Russia or in or in Central America, you know, Guatemala or Brazil or somewhere, or where, where you know people don't quite look like me and they don't talk like me. Well, can I tell you something? If you go to Boston, the people aren't going to talk like you. You know. 
If you go to England, the people are going to speak, be speaking English, you know. But this was a call to get away from two things. One, the people that Abraham depended on. The people he had to have around him to feel secure and to feel comfortable. We'll look at why in just a second. But by the way, also, what did Abraham's father and brother succumb to? Idol worship. God is getting Abram away from that. Because Abram's going to have enough pressure like that on him just living in the culture and the world that he lives in, let alone having his own father and brother say, God spoke to you? Come on, Abraham. God hasn't spoken to anybody since Noah. That was centuries ago. How do we know he ever even really existed? But he didn't just lead him away from family. He led him away from comfort and resources. How do we know that? Because back in this time, everything in your life depended on your family. There would have been family land that Abram made his living off of. And think about this. When Abram's father died, Abram is one of two brothers, right, that are still living. When Abram's father, Terah, died, who would get half of his stuff? Abram would have. So when Abram leaves his father's house and his household, it's not just the personal relationships. It's not just, God, why are you making me go reach people that don't look like me, who don't have the same skin color, who don't speak the same language? But God, you're telling me to walk away from my livelihood, from my only source of income, from my security. You're asking me to walk away from that? God, I rely on my family, not just for financial security. I rely for them on protection in the world that we live in. We band together to protect each other from the bad people that are out there. And you're wanting me to go off into some place that I don't even know where, where Lord knows what could, where you know what could happen to me? And God says, yeah. He's calling Abram way outside of his, again, church buzzword, I wish somebody had a buzzer this morning, way outside his comfort zone. You know why? Because as long as he was in Haran, Abram was going to be depending on those things instead of depending on God. Christian, this is where we need to get over the idea that God calls us to do things that we can do. Okay? This is where we need to get the over, over the idea, God has called me to this thing, but I'm not prepared. I can't. Can I tell you something? It's a good thing that God doesn't call you to do things that you can do in your own strength, because if you could do it by your own volition, by your own strength, by your own will, you would be doing it for your own glory. We looked at that in the Tower of Babel last week. But when God calls us, He calls us to go out on a limb where he, we're completely and totally 100% dependent upon Him. That's what He's doing when He's getting Abram away from His family. He's saying, hey, big boy, you can't depend. Daddy's not going to be there. Your brother's not going to be there. You're going to be out here alone, and it's just going to be me and you in a land where you're the stranger. And Abram would be dependent on God. And that, by the way, brings us to the last thing it called Abram away from. Everything he depended on. Everything. <clears throat> Because let me ask you something. When Abram left his home, when he left his family, when he left his people, when he left his job, essentially, to go follow God to a place he didn't know where, among a people he didn't know, what was he going to have left? His family, whatever possessions he could throw on their backs, and he was going to have God. 
God was calling Abram out of everything he depended on. But that brings us to where the call led. God didn't just call Abram away from and out of something. He called called him to something. Look at this promise that God makes in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. Let's stop right there. In this one brief, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, six words. Abram found something he could put all his hope in and find joy in. Why, Stephen? Why why would being made into a nation do that for Abram? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why why would being made into a nation be a big deal for him? Think about it. What had the Bible already told us about Abram? He had no children, right? His wife was barren. What What would it take for Abram to be made into a nation? It would take a son. The thing... Abram had longed for. And we'll look at this more next week because Abram's going to get in... Actually, Abram's going to kind of get in God's face next week and say, hey, here's the deal. The thing Abram had been longing for, the thing he had been hoping for, the thing that maybe even the Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder, I think he probably had been praying for, I would guess. A son. It's not going to end with me. There'll be someone to leave it to. There'll be a legacy. There'll be someone that I can love. I'll have a future. It's a son. I'm going to be a father. And that's the first thing God's led to. A new identity. Abram, by the way, whose name, tragic ironic, was father. Although, by the time he was 75, no kids, and all the time he had to be called father. He was going to finally have that chance. He was going to be a father. God was going to take what had been such a great tragedy, an ironic tragedy of Abram being called father, and he was going to turn it into a thing of joy, literally a thing of laughter. That's what Isaac means, by the way, is laughter in Hebrew. He's going to be a father. Abram's very identity was going to change. In fact, his name changes. God changes his name from father to great father. If you want to put it in southern English, he changed his name from daddy to big daddy. And by the way, Christian, God's call on our lives initially always leads us to a new identity. What do you mean by that? I mean that God's call on our lives always begins with the call to be saved. To put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and His work for us. When He lived the life we were supposed to live but chose not to. When He died the death we deserve to die in our place. When He rose again to give mercy and forgiveness to whoever would respond to Him in faith and trust. Our initial call from God is always a call to respond to that. And when we do put our faith and trust in Jesus and what He did for us, then we receive a new identity. We're no longer lost. We are found. We are no longer aliens living in rebellion to God. We are adopted sons and daughters living and walking in His presence. Our eternity is no longer fixed as one separated from God in a place called hell. Our eternity is fixed as one spent in eternity in a place called heaven. When God calls us 
We, are a, we have a new identity. We are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God's call always inevitably leads to a new identity. I'm not the person that I used to be. Oh sure, the old man is in here and I struggle against him and the spirit and the flesh are fighting each other. I get that. But I am not that person anymore. I don't have to be because God has, through Jesus Christ's saving work, has made me into a new creation and a child of His. The call led Abram to a new identity. It also leads us to a new identity. But the call also led to a new ministry. Look what happens next. After I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Alright. That's a pretty good promise. And you will be a blessing. Abraham, not only am I going to give you your heart's desire, I'm going to give you the son, and I'm going to make you into a nation, but I'm going to bless you. And yes, if you read the rest of the Bible, don't let the health and wealth guys that you see on TV take this out of context. Abraham does build a measure of wealth. But can I tell you what God is doing with that? God is not blessing Abraham so that Abraham can be wealthy. God is blessing Abraham so that Abraham can be a blessing. Can I tell you, Abraham is the first person we see in the Bible who when he gets a big payday... Granted, he went and fought a battle and then looted a guy's camp to get it, or five guys' camps to get it. That story's later. He's the first person we see take a tenth off the top of it and give it to God's representative. It's a guy named Melchizedek who we won't get into in our sermon series because there's just a lot there that we don't have time for. God tells Abram, Abram, no matter how much I bless you, I'm going to make your name great. Which... By the way, if you want to talk about having your name great, do you realize that Abraham is, is not venerated, because that makes it sound like he's, he's treated as a deity. Do you realize Abraham is honored by every monotheistic religion in the world? Do you realize that means about, hmm, let's see, duh, 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 about four and a half billion people today think Abraham was really important? Sounds like making your name great. But God tells Abram straight up, this is not for you. It is for you to be a blessing. And by the way, Abram is going to do that. He's going to try to be a blessing. He's going to try to intercede for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they and he did not have a great relationship. Abram is going to give his ungrateful nephew Lot first choice of where he wants to live, the good place or the bad place. Abram, like I said, is going to give away a tenth of, of what he earns to a guy named Melchizedek, who was the high priest of God. How that worked, we're, we're not exactly sure. And now, Christian, where does this connect to you? We have gotten it in our heads as 21st century American Christians that God has blessed us because He loves us. Can I tell you something? God saved you because He loved you And can I tell you something else? You are not blessed only because God loves you. Because can I tell you something? As much as God loves you, He equally loves the child that is an orphan in Africa today that's starving to death and is going to die from unclean water just as much as He loves you. He loves the Buddhist in China who's never heard His name just as much as He loves you. He loves the atheist in England right now who doesn't even accept that God exists just as much as He loves you. 
God's love alone that leads Him to bless you. God blesses you, Christian, so that you can then turn around and be a blessing to others. Can I tell you something? If you take every blessing that God ever gives you, ever gives you, throw it in your Scrooge McDuck money pool and swim around in it your whole life, good for you, but you have not lived in God's will. Can I tell you something? If you took a Christian from any time from the life of Christ, the moment Jesus went back up to heaven until about the uh, middle of the 20th century and brought them to modern day America into this church this morning, there is one thing about you that would blow their minds. Okay, well, th- there are two things. One, how do the magic words appear on the screen? Okay, our technology would blow them away. We can all agree on that. But number two, they would be astounded at your affluence. You mean, well, first off, many Christians from many centuries would go, you mean you guys can get together and nobody's going to come in here and, and arrest you for that? By the way, your brothers and sister and sisters in China and in Iraq and Saudi Arabia right now would say the same thing. But secondly, they would look at the Ford Fusion you have sitting out in the parking lot right now and go, that cost you $20,000? I didn't make that in my working lifetime. A loaf of bread cost how much? It cost three cents when I was alive. You make that what? Your house was bigger than our church? And you guys can afford $10,000 a year for air conditioning. Hmm. We all got in somebody's house because we weren't allowed to have a building of our own. Church, hear me. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to be blessed. I'm saying it is wrong for us to assume that God has blessed us because He just wants us to be blessed. No, God has blessed us so that we can take those blessings and give them back for His glory. Because there are people that haven't heard. Because there's sick kids who don't have insurance. Because right now there's some veteran that's homeless living on the street. And if the government's not going to take care of them, then it is the church's job. But we worry about our... Never mind. You get the point. God called Abram to a new ministry. To be a blessing. And by the way, Christian... God's calling you to a new ministry. If you're saved this morning, okay, I grant you, vocational minister, James, Corey, vocational minister. I get that not everybody is called to be a vocational minister. I understand that. But can I tell you something? If you look at the early church in the book of Acts or in Paul's letters, can I tell you the percentage of vocational ministers compared to today was about the same percentage-wise. It's Very, very, very slim, but there's a lot more people ministering than just the vocational ministers in the book of Acts, if you go look at it. In fact, by the way, church, it's the the lay people that are ministering to the ministers. 
If you're a Christian today, God has called you to a ministry. And like we talked about earlier, He's not calling you to do it in His strength. Abraham could not do this ministry God's calling in his own strength. In a foreign land, Abraham couldn't earn enough money to be a blessing. In his own strength, Abram had tried to have a son for years, and he couldn't do it. And let me tell you something. Your ministry is not dependent on your strength. It's dependent upon your availability to God's call. J.D. Greer always says it this way. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. But I don't, I don't know if I can teach the kids Sunday school class. I don't like my own kids. I thank God every week that I get to go put them in the nursery and get away from them for an hour. But if God's calling you to it's not because He thinks you're an awesome teacher, but it's because He knows that if you're obedient with, to Him, you can help change the kid's life and change their eternity. I don't know if I can mentor that young Christian. I've still got struggles. I'm still working through things myself. Well, you know what? Maybe they're going through the same thing and you two are supposed to walk through it together. This thing is... Older Christian mentoring a younger Christian is never about the super Christian helping the weak Christian. No, no, no. It's about two weak Christians saying we need to get to God together because He's the only way we can be strong enough to make this thing work. I can't be on that committee. They talk about numbers. And I'm not a numbers person. I can't go on the trip and be a chaperone. I'm too old for that. By the way, senior adults in college ministry, y'all are my preferred chaperone group, by the way, because you and college students have the most in common. If you want to know about it, ask me later. can't serve as a deacon. I don't know. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the ability. Are you kidding me? You know how easy it is to tell the pastor what to do? <laughs> by the way... <laughs> If you are a deacon and you think that's what your job is, come see me after the service. We need to sit with 1 Timothy 3 and talk about that. But God called Abram to a new ministry, and if you are saved this morning, God has called you to a new ministry. But that's not all the call led to. The call led to a new purpose. I'll speed up, I promise, but, but that point was a big one. I didn't want you to miss it, because that ties directly into what we're looking at here. Look what God says. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. That's God's way of saying, hey, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of this. But look what he says. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now notice what God says there. Will be blessed through you. Not by you. This isn't Abraham uh, going around again with the blessings that God created, just handing them out, throwing them out. You know, he, he's not you know, traveling the countryside doing good deeds. That's not, that's not what this is. Although Abraham does do some good stuff later in the story. How would the whole world be blessed through Abraham? It's because of Abraham's obedient response, his faith in God and trusting God to be obedient to this call to go. It's through that that God will give Abraham a son. But then God's going to give that son a son, and that son's going to have a son, and that son's going to have a son. And let me just sum up the whole Old Testament for you from this point, from Genesis 12 to Matthew 1, Here's the point of the Old Testament and pretty much the whole Bible. Abraham will have a descendant who is named Jesus. That was the purpose God had called Abraham for. Not just for Abraham to be blessed. Not just for Abraham to do some good things and have his life changed and maybe help some other people. No, God had called Abraham to have a special part of, of the gospel mission. Because through Abraham's faith... God would eventually bring about Jesus and the gospel. 
And Christian, if you're wondering what your purpose is, if you're wondering why you got saved and God didn't immediately take you up to heaven, it's because He intends for you a new purpose. Well, not really new, because it's the same one He gave Abram, to be a part of the gospel mission. To play a part in the gospel reaching the world. And by the way, did you notice the language? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Huh, that's funny. You know what it kind of sounds like? It kind of sounds like the Great Commission where Jesus tells His disciples to go and make disciples of who? Of all nations. Do you realize the purpose that God laid out for Abram is the same purpose that He lays out for us and we get to be a part of that blessing of Abraham, the gospel reaching the nations. God's plan for this blessing being carried out is you and me. No pressure. Christian, when God calls you to that new ministry, when you reflect on that new identity that you have in Christ, so radically different from who you were before, Understand, that was done, not just for your benefit, although you do benefit from it. It was done so that you might become a part of the gospel reaching the nations. And by the way, that then becomes the purpose of every other thing that happens in our lives. If we're a teacher, we teach for the gospel cause. If we're a firefighter, we're a fighter fighter for the gospel. If God one day hopefully calls us to be a missionary, we are then a missionary because the gospel changed our lives and we know it can change others. This becomes our purpose, our meaning of life. The gospel reaching the nations. The last thing I want you to see is what the call required. What the call required. Look at verses 4. Look at verse 4. So Abram left. Now before you go thinking that that was an easy decision, now granted, the, the, being told you will have a son and become a great nation, named great, that was probably very enticing. But I want you to consider this conversation and how it happened. God didn't speak to Sarai. He only spoke to Abram. I want you to think about how this conversation went. Men, put yourself in Abram's shoes for a minute. Go home this afternoon and say this, Sweetheart, God spoke to me. Okay, start with that. Start with it. By the way, keep in mind, God had not talked to anyone since Noah. Centuries had passed since God spoke to anyone. Not only did God speak to me, He said I need to quit my job. He didn't say, say, I need to quit my job. He said, I needed to quit my job and I need to take you and the kid, or Lot, in this case, his nephew, and and, and what little stuff we can carry, and we need to go to a foreign country. Which one? I don't know. He didn't say. Well, well, what are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. He didn't say. Well, how are you going to know that country when we get to it? I don't know. He didn't say. Well, actually, he did say. He said he, he said he would show it to me. So wait, the God who hasn't spoken in centuries just shows up, tells you to quit your job, leave our home, move me somewhere, and then He's just going to show up again, maybe in another few centuries, and tell you when to stop? Yeah! Fellas, go go home, have that conversation, see how it turns out. 
But that's what the call required. Because it required faith on the part of Abraham. He had to trust God and there are two elements to it. There's dependence on God. And we've looked at that. We've looked at the fact that Abraham was going to have to depend on God for protection, for provision, for the things he needed to survive, for the things his wife needed to survive. He was going to have to trust that if God called him to another land, God would see him there safely and make a life for him there. But it wasn't just dependence on God. It was deference to God. It was Abraham having to say, God, whatever it takes, here's my life. Here's here's my purpose. Here's my direction. Here's my plans. Here's my resources. Here's everything I have. I'm putting it on the table. I'm pushing all my chips in, trusting that this plan you've laid out for me will come to pass. David Platt puts it this way in his book Radical, which is an excellent book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. He describes it as giving God a blank check of our lives. We write in the amount, which is everything, and we leave the rest blank, and we let God fill the rest in. Christian, I'm going to talk specifically to you, because this part's for you. Are you depending on God? But more importantly, are you deferring to God? Have you made your life that blank check where you said, God, I don't know where you're calling me, but you fill in the blank. God, I don't know how much, but you give in the blank. God, I don't know to whom, but you fill in the blank. Have we completely deferred our will to God's? Abram did. And can I tell you what would happen? Sure enough, God gives him that son. And that son has a son, and that son has a son, and that son has a son, and eventually Jesus. You are in this room today, in part, because a 75-year-old man had enough faith to leave his home and go to a country he'd never heard of or seen. What could God do? If He could do that with one man, by the way, one one senior adult, what could He do with all our senior adults? I'm just kidding. What could he do if each of us had faith like Abram to sell out for the gospel mission, embrace the new ministry he's called us to, and live in the new identity he has given us? And we went out in faith, trusting him. Let's pray together.